0: into the Dream Factory. A warm, cozy, and extremely lovely place where only the most visceral nightmares and pleasure-driven musings of its residents are mercilessly extracted and sold for the pure enjoyment of others. The Dream Factory, a new novel by Mark Marcus. Now available on your Apple device, Kindle, and on Amazon.com. Go to Candleshorepublishing.com forward slash dreamfactory.
1: You've heard a lot about the Dallas hospital that treated Thomas Eric Duncan, the first Ebola patient diagnosed in America. But you've never heard what actually happened from the people who fought for his life at the risk of their own. You're about to meet four nurses who treated Duncan from the time he came into the emergency room to the moment that he died. The staff had been blindsided by a biomedical emergency that burst into their ER like a wildfire. Contrary to reports that the hospital bungled the response, the story the nurses tell sounds more like a heroic effort to stop an outbreak. On September 28th, Duncan was rushed by ambulance to Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital. He was isolated in a separate section of the ER, and Nurse Cydia Rose, starting the night shift, was briefed on the special precautions required for what they now suspected was a case of Ebola.
2: I went over and met with the nurse who gave me a report. She also went over the protective wear that we would be wearing that night. Um, She gave me... you know finished briefing me on what was going to happen and I um I literally bust out in tears why it's very scary I I knew about Ebola and the only reason I do it's because I've been just researching it on my own since January I kept hearing the word popping up in the news and um I just wanted to find out about it.
3: When our supervisor said that we had a potential Ebola case, I don't want to call it calamitous, but there was a lot of concern. Um, people became very vocal. Um, it, Understandably, it's like it's the boogeyman virus.
1: Emergency room nurses Richard Townsend and Krista Schaefer made sure that Cedia Rose was suited up properly. As per the hospital's protocol, she worked with Duncan alone, with Townsend watching over her. When you went to approach Mr. Duncan for the first time, what did you do? How did you prepare for that?
2: I gathered myself together. I um, put on my protective wear, and I went in and um, introduced myself to him and, you know, just let him know that I would be the nurse helping him tonight.
1: What were you telling yourself?
2: Um, as I was, I was very frightened. I was. But, and I... Just dried my tears, rolled down my sleeves, so to speak, and um, went on about my night.
1: But why do you go in there? Why don't you say, you know, this one's not for me?
2: As a nurse, I understand the risk that I take every day I come to work. And he's no different than any other patient that I've provided care for. So I wasn't going to say, no, I'm not going to care for him.
1: But you are risking your life to take care of this patient.
2: Oh, I know that. And that's why I, um, as frightened as I was, I didn't allow fear to paralyze me. I got myself together. I donned what I needed to get myself prepared mentally, emotionally, and um, physically, and went in there and did what I was supposed to.
1: Though Duncan's test results wouldn't be known for two days, she was certain she was witnessing Ebola.
2: The first time when I went in and he vomited, I was standing in front of him. He was sitting on the commode, and it was just so much went over the bag. It was on the wall, on the floors. I had two pairs of gloves on and shoe covers, and um, I had my face shield on. I didn't have two masks on at the time. I had just one. No, we didn't have any head covers, but... I wiped down the walls, wiped down the floor with some bleach wipes.
3: He was having so much um, diarrhea and vomiting that he, you know, she was constantly having to give him um, the little bags that we have for for people to vomit into. All of that was hazardous waste. um, And it had to be bagged and then double-bagged and then put into a separate container that um, could then be disposed of later, because anything that has any of his bodily fluids on it has a potential to to be lethal to somebody else.
1: Eric Duncan was 42 years old from Liberia, which is ground zero for this outbreak. Half of all the cases in the world are in Liberia. He flew to Dallas to visit family, became sick a few days later, and then made his first visit to the Dallas hospital. It was the night of September the 25th when Duncan first came into this emergency room. According to the hospital records, he had a temperature of 100.1. Over the course of the four hours or so that he was here, his temperature spiked to 103, but then it dropped back down. Again, according to the hospital records, he told the staff that he had come from Africa, but did not specify West Africa or Liberia. About three o'clock in the morning, with his symptoms not very severe, the staff decided to send him home with antibiotics. But three days later, he was back in the ER gravely ill and about as contagious as he would ever be. The virus is not transmitted through the air, but physical contact with a single viral particle can cause infection. The hospital notified state health authorities immediately, and they wanted Cydia Rose to ask several urgent questions of Duncan.
2: And I explained to him, we are under the impression that you may have been exposed to Ebola. And I said, where are you from? And he told me, Liberia. And I asked, um, have you been in contact with anyone who's been sick? He said... No. He said no.
1: State and federal health officials wanted to know if Duncan had been with anyone who had died in Liberia.
2: And that's um, when he said to me his family had suffered a loss, that he had buried his daughter who had died in childbirth.
1: But Nurse Rose says Duncan told her it wasn't Ebola that killed his daughter. Rose told us that she reported this to the Texas Department of Health, but then Duncan denied his own story. When he spoke to those officials, what information was it that he denied to the health officials
2: about his travels, about his um, him burying his pregnant daughter who had died in childbirth. He denied that. He said that's not true.
1: So he wasn't honest with them. Yeah. This is nurse Richard Townsend, who dressed in the protective gear that was recommended by the CDC at the time, just as Cydia Rose did. Was any of your skin exposed?
2: At that time, I, it was just the gown I was wearing. So yeah, but not my hands, not my legs, my, my face. I had my face shield on, the mask with the face shield.
1: So your neck was exposed? Yes. So the CDC protocols that you would have looked up the day he came into the emergency department were, in your estimation, deficient? Yes. yes. Yeah. On September 29th, Duncan was carried from the emergency department to intensive care. Nurse Nina Pham, who was involved in the transfer, would become the first person to catch the virus in the United States. It took 48 hours to get Duncan's positive test results. And by then, the hospital on its own had equipped the staff with suits that allowed no skin to be exposed. It would be another three weeks before the CDC made this its new standard. Then, the hospital moved out all of the patients in medical intensive care and reconfigured the 24-bed unit for just one patient.
0: It was a strange scene for ICU nurse John Mulligan. By the time I came in, they had already received the Tyvex, the Pappers, so we had the full hazmat gear that people are used to seeing. Is this the full suit? This is the full suit, yeah. Um, There were always two of us in the room at all times, and we were designated two people to be in there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've been in healthcare for nearly 20 years, and I've never emptied as much trash uh, just true. from the waste of, of his constant diarrhea mm-hmm. um, that he was having, was, it was remarkable. Um, and we had these longer surgical type gloves on, they were taped to the Tyvek suit, full headgear with a, um, a circulator with a HEPA filter that would plug into the back. And the first time I got out of that suit, it literally looked like someone had pushed me into a swimming pool. Absolutely. I was drenched. They were working 16
1: to 18 hour days, spending two hours at a time in Duncan's room.
0: And we held his hand and talked to him and comforted him because his family couldn't be there. You held his hand through the spacesuit. I did. He was glad someone wasn't afraid to take care of him. Yeah. And we weren't.
3: I have nothing but respect and admiration for everyone uh, that was involved in his in his care. You know, I, everyone has someone in their lives that that they that they love and they care about. I have a five year old and a three year old, and my wife is pregnant. And the mortality rate for pregnant women with Ebola is is essentially one hundred percent. But Richard, why don't you go to the administration
1: and say, you know, I'm sorry, but my wife is pregnant.
3: People were allowed to. Um, Request not to be, um, tasked with his, with his care. We asked
2: for volunteers. Everyone volunteered.
3: Everyone was a volunteer. Every person, housekeeping, respiratory, physicians, nurses.
1: But despite all the volunteers, Duncan grew worse. An experimental drug wasn't helping.
0: Early Saturday morning, he had become very critically ill, um, and was placed on a respirator. He was intubated. He was intubated. tube down his throat. tube down his throat. He had a um, dialysis catheter placed because his, um, he was not making the urine that he needed to. He was heavily sedated, and he had tears rolling down his eyes. Rolling down his face. And not just normal watering from a sedated person. They, this was in the form of tears. And I grabbed a tissue, and I wiped his eyes, and I said, you're going to be okay. You just get the rest that you need. Let us do the rest for you. And it wasn't 15 minutes later I couldn't find a pulse. And I lost. And it was the worst day of my life. This man that we cared for, that fought just as hard with us, Lost his fight. And his family couldn't be there. And we were the last three people to see him alive. And I was the last one to leave the room. And I held him in my arms. He was alone.
1: Cedia, you spent perhaps the most time talking with Mr. Duncan and I wonder what you think people should know about him.
2: He was very kind and very appreciative. Even something as simple as me just giving him cold washcloth to cool his face down because his fever wasn't breaking. Even that he was grateful for. He told me thanks.
1: Within days of Duncan's death, nurse Nina Pham was admitted to the hospital with Ebola. When Nina became sick, that must have sent a lightning bolt
0: through the staff because now it's one of you i thought someone was playing a cruel joke (laughs) until i finally looked at my phone and saw the missed text messages and the voicemails and turned the news on and went oh my goodness then four days later nurse
1: amber vinson fell ill both nurses have since recovered this is nina fam leaving a hospital on friday but many on the staff still wonder whether they could be the next patient. Are any of you, all of you, still self-monitoring for signs of infection? I am. You are? Yes. You're still within the 21-day window?
2: For Mr. Duncan, I'm past my 21-day period. But for Nina Fam, I'm still being monitored. I've been asymptomatic. My temperature has been rock solid.
1: Those who contract the virus are not infectious until they actually become sick. Members of the medical staff must take their temperature now twice a day and show the reading to a state health official. But in at least one other way, the effect of fighting this virus
0: could linger. I would have nightmares and still do of my co-workers being infected and not being able to get to a hospital and treatment and dying and so it's like any traumatic event. This too shall pass, it's just gonna take a little time.